we've been talking about parables for a couple months at this point, right? We've went through some of the first parables, and we've went through salt and light, hide it under a bushel. Yeah, you remember that one? We've been, we, we did the wise and the foolish, and we found out most of us are quite foolish. Uh, yeah, you remember all that? But just as the disciples did, we need to ask this question. Are, are, are we going to be a disciple, by the way? One who is disciplined in? That was a, that was a 0% success of that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, we got, we got Monique and Ryan. Everybody else leave. Okay. <laughs> the disciples, after Jesus had been saying parables for a while, finally decided in their infinite wisdom to say, Hey, Jesus, why do you talk in parables? And they didn't do it the first time. <laughs> if you actually look at the story, all four gospels, well, all three of the synoptic gospels, John only gives us really like one parable, uh, which we'll talk about later on. But, but all three of them kind of show like he, he's walking around giving parables, giving parables, and like three or four in, then all of a sudden they're like, after the multitude's gone, because they got to look like they got it together for everybody else. <laughs> it says they go to Jesus and they said, why do you talk in parables? And he gives an answer. <laughs> yes, that turns around to be more parables. <laughs> but he first does actually tell them a little bit as to why. There are two things we're going to discuss today that have the propensity, meaning the likelihood, very high, to tick you off. The first one, less so. The second one, very much so. The first one is Jesus' answer to parables as to why he does it. And I believe it is, is among the very misunderstood reasons that pe- people read it and then they think that what he said is not what he said at all. And it's quite apparent if you continue to read. But we're not really good at that. Just when in doubt, continue reading. Okay, Like when you think you've got the point, just keep going a little bit further. Especially if you, that point makes you feel good, like, yay! If it doesn't make you feel like, whoa, you didn't read far enough. So I want to talk about that first, and I want to talk about, about four or five parables that are all just, they're kind of one sentence long, little boom, 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 but they're meant to be layered together as all different pieces. Think of it like this. We've used this example a couple of times, but, you know, if, if I had, if I had a, a, a kind of a big fishbowl and I had some coral, whatnot, in the middle, and there was one fish that was swimming around in it, right? And I'm standing on this side, and you're standing on that side, and the fish is on my side. I would start describing the fish, right? And you're like, no, I only see a tail of a fish, right? Because you can't see the rest of it, right? Just like right now, I can see all your faces. I can see who's tired, who's not tired, who's ready to go home, who's hungry. All y'all see is my face, right? So we have different perspectives. Make sense? So because of these different perspectives, this is why Jesus gives us Tons and tons and tons of parables because he's like, can y'all come over here a little bit? And it kind of is like this. Can you come over here a little bit? It's like this. And notice the biggest phrase that appears with all these parables is the kingdom of God is like. It doesn't say it is this thing. It's like it. It's similar to. So we can observe this thing in the natural and say that's kind of how it works. Does that make sense? should be pretty straightforward. So let's read why. This is, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, and this is the reason why. It's also mentioned in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. If you're wanting to write those down, they're on the notes that will be appearing in the app shortly. Um, I think I uh, put the timer wrong, and I, I put uh, 12 a.m. instead of p.m., um, so it won't be live until midnight. So stay up all night, ready and waiting 
a watchful servant. Uh, <laughs> but this is Jesus' answer. So they come to him in verse 10, Matthew chapter 13. It says, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak in parables? In verse 11, he answered to them. He says, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But unto them it is not. That's how we read that, by the way. And then Jesus continues on in verse 12. He says, So whoever has, to him it shall be given even more abundantly. And whoever has not, for him it shall be taken away that he has. Verse 13. Therefore I speak unto them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing hear not, nor do they understand. Verse 14. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing ye shall hear and not understand, and by seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For these people's heart has waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. See, because they didn't clean out their ears. Their ears are full of wax. That's not what that means. We'll talk about it in a minute. And their eyes are closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts they should be converted, and then I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have seen them not, and to hear those things which you have heard, and hear them not. And then he goes on and says, Now hear the parable of the sower, which is next week. All right, I read everything. Did y'all get all that? We don't, right? No, when we read this, here's what we're hearing. We're hearing the disciples said, Hey, Jesus, why do you talk in parables? He's like, All right, listen. I talk in parables so you can understand my secret wisdoms because you are supposed to understand them, but all the rest of them are not. And see, because when I say it to them, they don't know. They're not in the know. You know? They don't know the little wink and the little look and the little inside joke and the. They they don't know. And it's not for them to know. But it's for you to know. Because see, they're going to hear me, but they're not going to understand. They're going to see me doing things, but they're not going to get it. But you will. And because you do, I'm going to give you even more stuff. And houses and cars and things. And then I'm going to take theirs and I'm going to give it to you. Who's ever heard it this way? Because this is exactly how it's been teach, taught. Teached. Wow. Taught most of the time. But we like to stop there and don't want to continue on because apparently it says the goal is that they'll see and hear. And when they do, it says immediately there's going to be a change. Now let's talk about what it actually says. What it actually says is this. They come up and say, hey, Jesus, why do you talk in parables? And he says, listen, there's some things, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I'm about to show you. You'll see the rest of it in a minute. Okay? He says, there's some things that have been hidden, have been hidden, were no longer. And he says, and I am relinquishing it to you so you can see them. Not so much that they can't. They can, but they're just not right now. They're being the exact same way as the people in Isaiah's time, because Isaiah is writing a prophecy about people who are existing at Isaiah's time and who will exist. And what it means is to wax gross means their hearts. The heart the soil, that's the same thing in all of Jesus' parables pretty much. The, the field, the dirt is you. You're literally made from it in Genesis, right? Like when you die, your body decomposes and does what? Turns to dust, okay? So this is, this is not complicated. We can understand this in science. We can understand this in spirituality. You are the dirt. And he says their hearts, their dirt has gotten hardened, and they don't want to receive anything. 
So they're going to see things, but they're not going to get it. They're going to hear things. They're just going to blow it off because they don't want to receive what is being said. And then it talks about this, and because you have, it'll be taken away, or you'll be given to, and because you don't have, you'll be taken away. And we all think, taken away. Jesus is going to take my stuff if I don't do good. <laughs> my car got repoed. God's mad at me. No, you didn't pay the bill. Shouldn't have bought something you can't afford. That's nothing to do with God. What is he talking about here? This is spiritual. He is saying those who have, have what? The understanding of the kingdom of God, you'll get more understanding. Because you're starting to understand how it works, you're going to kind of get it. Those who don't understand, they can't receive any more from it. So even that what they have, guys, everybody go, and let it go. What you have, if you don't even understand the kingdom of God, you still have this, life, breath. And what Jesus is saying is that you understand the kingdom, you're going to get more understanding of the kingdom. Those that don't, even the very thing, even the life that they have, the breath that they have, even that's going to be taken because they don't get the kingdom. This is about life and death. This is about spiritual life. This is not about the things you possess in this world. Jesus could care less or couldn't care less. I I never know which way you're supposed to say that. No concern for it. We read this earlier, and we'll read it again, where Jesus says, don't even worry about what you're going to eat. Y'all remember that? Jesus does not give a hill of beans. And you're supposed to be like him, which means you're not supposed to either. Some of y'all have the worst day in the world because something happens in the natural. You wreck your car. It's just bent metal. Someone bent it into a shape you liked. You just bent it into a shape no one likes. (laughs) And that ruins everything. Y'all are laughing too hard at that. Everybody's had a wreck. <laughs> so he says, no, I'm talking about spiritual things. If we never get anything else from this entire 87 billion week series, get one thing that when you read scripture, it is not trying to convey to you things about your natural crap. It is trying to reveal things to you about the spirit of God. And you can be on one side of this story or the other, the one whom is starting to perceive and understand because your heart's not hardened and you want to hear, you want to understand, you want to grow, or you're going to be the other one that thinks you know it all. And you're like, oh, I don't know it all. I want to learn. But you're unwilling to let go, which means you're hardened. And Jesus says, this is what we're talking about right here. But what does he say? But at any time that they decide, you notice, it doesn't say at any time that you convince them to. It says their eyes are closed, which means they're willingly not looking. But it says, let's at any time they should see with their eyes, meaning what do you, what, what's the, if your eyes are closed and you want to see with your eyes, what do you do? Open them. And hear with their ears, meaning start to listen Then they'll understand with their what? Heart. And then they'll be converted. And and I I love the fact that this word is converted is used. It means to turn from, almost like a word repent, but specifically to start worshiping the true God. So not just worshiping, like, because you're always worshiping something, by the way. But it says, no, now you're going to turn, and it's going to turn into worship of the true God. Now, because it's entered into your heart, your heart was open, now all of a sudden you're going to start perceiving it, and you're going to turn. It's going to change something about you. 
and then I will heal them. And he says, blessed are your eyes because you see and your ears because you hear. Now, last time I checked, the disciples were pretty. <laughs> they never got what Jesus was saying. They're asking him right here why he's even talking in parables. And his response to him is, because you see and perceive. I got to help you out. I have got to help you guys out with something. See, you always, <laughs> you always think God and Jesus are like you in which they only know what they know at the time in which they know it. Not knowing things that are soon to come. And what we miss, actually, in pretty much all of Matthew 13, is Jesus is actually being prophetic right here. He is not talking about their current understanding, because they don't. Because in a minute, well, in a minute being next week, we'll see Jesus have to explain the very parables that we're going to read, and they don't get it. But yet he just said they get it. Why? Because he's saying, you're gonna, you stick with me, you're, you're going to get it. It may take some time, but you're going to get it. Don't believe me? Just keep going with me. So this is the reason they said, and he says, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see these things, and they haven't seen them. But wait, I thought he just said that if they did want to, then they get it. Because I prayed for a new car. That's not bent into an unlikely shape. See, doesn't it sound contradictory? All y'all are lying right now. I have literally listened to people who are like, I don't believe in the Bible anymore. I was listening to a podcast just the other day. And, and he's like, here's why. And he's reading, not this particular one, but one very similar to this. And I'm sitting here thinking, he's like, why are you? And, and he's like, see, it contradicts itself. He says, he will. And they say, he won't. They don't know what they're talking about. They just wrote stuff down. And I'm like, well, no. It's talking about two different things right here. And this is how we treat it. See, the first time when he's talking about they will, he's talking about the people. But the people that he was talking about here, these are two different people. Okay? Look, we have people sitting on y'all's right, the right side. These people are different from these people. Yes? Y'all are not convinced by that, okay? Different groups of people. Not unlike my great-grandfather is a people in all his family. And they're, I'm their descendant, but I don't know them. I never met them. And they don't exist anymore, okay? So Jesus is talking about two different groups of people. The first time he's talking about the people that the disciples were just hanging around with that are right there. He's saying, hey, if they open their eyes, if they see it, boom, we got it. But right here, he's referring to many prophets. The prophets are the people of old that he was referring to. And many righteous men, talking about all the righteous men. He's saying they wanted, they were looking. What were they looking for? The Messiah. They were waiting and watching. They wanted to see the kingdom come. See, this is something we miss. Every time we hear parables and we hear the kingdom of God is like, y'all all just went to peace, love, bulletproof marshmallows, mansion, Yellow brick road, like, that's what y'all are picturing. Heaven, eternity. But see, the people of the day knew something we don't, which is that's not what he's referring to. See, because they had this understanding in which they were looking and saying, all of these prophecies are in our scripture, the Old Testament, are all pointing us to a Messiah, one sent to save. That's what the word Messiah means, or called the Christ. So what Jesus is referring to is that those people wanted to see this kingdom come. 
And they were waiting and watching and desiring it, but they didn't see it. Not because their hearts, but because it wasn't time. But he says, now it's time. I refer you back to session one because we talked about the idea of fulfillment, which I told you was like everywhere, especially in Matthew. Matthew is really wanting to make sure that his red solo cup was filled up. He's always talking about fulfillment, constantly. Everywhere you look in Matthew, fulfilled, 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 fulfilled. He's trying to point us to this idea. So what we see right here is he's saying, it wasn't time. They desired it. Now there's people who don't desire it. They're not even looking for it. They're forgetting about it. But it's here right now. It's almost like Jesus is trying to say the same thing that he said at the very beginning, which is he went around preaching and teaching, repent, transform, convert, Because the kingdom of God is what? At hand. Right now. It was right now then, and it's right now now. Both. So it was fulfilled. And then he says, now let me tell you about the parable of the sower. We're not going to read the parable of the sower. We are next week. What we are going to look at is the smaller ones that he gives basically immediately after that. So let's go down to verse 31. You may be asking yourself, self, why is he skipping parable of the sower? Because you ain't ready. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I I believe that we need to approach it like this because y'all have an attention span of a (laughs) two-year-old. And that if we tried to cover all of the parables at the same time and read this entire chapter, you would gloss over after I got through the reading of the parable And then you would not hear the explanation, and you would be the people whose hearts were hardened, and you're just going to walk out saying, I heard a parable about sowing seed, and so I'm going to give some money, which is not even what it's about. Okay? So we're going to save the parable of the sower. We're going to understand all the other attributes that Jesus is getting to, and then next week we're going to look at the big one and say, ah, now I see. So we're starting with the outlines. Okay? Make sense? So in verse... 31, he says unto them another parable. This is Matthew 13, 31. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like, not eternity, but this thing that is here and now that you can partake of. Everybody say that. The kingdom of God is now. Well, it's a kingdom of heaven, not God. Okay, Matthew says kingdom of heaven. Everyone else says kingdom of God. They're the same thing. Okay. He says it's like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, verse 32, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among all the herbs. And it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and lodge in its branches. Now, if you actually Google a mustard seed, you're going to see the only incorrect people are the Christians who don't look at plants And take pictures of trees and say that they are a mustard tree, which is not a thing. It's an herb. It does get like six feet tall, but it pretty much looks like the the weeds that we get. Like, if you look at it, it looks like, you know, those little yellow flowers, little daisy things like that. It looks like those, but like, imagine, you know, the ones with the purple flowers, like how they get big stalks. Like, that's like the little, those weeds. That's kind of like, it looks kind of like that with the little yellow flowers on it. It can get about this big, but it comes from a little bitty seed, if you've ever seen a mustard seed. I mean, it is tiny, 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 and it grows, but it gets into something quite large compared to its seed size. But see, Christians read this, and they don't read it spiritually. They read it naturally, and they're thinking, if I just have a little bit of faith, God's going to grow me a big old tree of money. 
And y'all are laughing, but all of you think that. (laughs) So, let's read this spiritually, shall we? The kingdom of heaven, this thing that you can grab right here, right now, is like this tiny little seed. But look, we skip over this. A man took and sowed in his field. Whose field? His field. Whose field? I feel like this could be a whose field? His field. Who field? His field. Not someone else's. It is not your job to try to plant seeds in other people. It is your job to take this tiny little seed and put it in your field. Field is ground. Ground is? Thank you. We are learning class. Now, I hear some of you like, no, no, like we talk about planting seeds. Incorrect. You're supposed to just water them. I can explain that to you later. So we skip that part. So first off, what are we trying to see spiritually here? It's a little bitty thing. Something that's easily misplaced, easily mistook, easily lost. Very, very small. It's quite hard to see. And you're supposed to take it. You are supposed to take it and plant it in your field, which means you've got to know where it's at. (laughs) You've also got to have the ground prepared and plant it in your field. And it says, indeed, it's the least of all the seeds, meaning it's one of the smallest. It looks like the most insignificant. Guys, the seed is the word of God, okay? Not the Bible. The Bible contains the word of God, but the word of God is the spoken word of God, which created the very life that you have, which is the thing that will be taken away. Are y'all not seeing this? I'm going too fast. Okay, we got we to we gotta get going. I don't have my watch on, so y'all are in danger. Uh, <laughs> are y'all seeing this? This little thing, it's the least of them. It's, it's the easiest to think is insignificant. But when it is grown, it's the greatest among all the herbs because it gets larger than the other herbs, not trees. And now Jesus, because Jesus has a sense of humor, if y'all don't know this. Like, I think my sense of humor in Jesus is kind of the same. I think he liked to watch people squirm. Because if you read some of the things he does and says, like, he says quite to them at the time outlandish things and gives no qualifiers. He just says it and is like, and then leaves. I mean, just, and so he has a sense of humor right here because everyone in their day and age, they would have understood. Mustard, plant, I, I get it, herb, yeah, okay, cool. Small, grows big, and he says, and then it's a tree. And they're like, what? This guy smoked too much mustard seed or something. They're like, well, it's not a tree, but if this is a play. He's kind of trying, and then it grows into a tree. Why? Because he is talking to them about something that's similar to, not identical to, and he wanted to show that the impossible is done in the spiritual realm in which something that it never could become, that could become that. Like, say you becoming righteous, you could never do that. So he's pulling on this idea, and he says, then it becomes a tree so the birds of the air can come and lodge in its branches. And so now they're like, wait, wait, a tree? I thought it was an herb. And he's saying, no, no, it's going to get to something impossible. And when it does, it will be able to carry the weight. The birds in this little parable here are the people. So he says, that, that's it. Now, now he goes to another one right after that. So he says it that way. So now we've got one perspective. It's like this little seed. It's hard to Are y'all catching that, right? Then he says, okay. And he gives them another care. The kingdom of God is like. Or the kingdom of heaven is like. 
The thing that you can have right now is like this. It's like an unto leaven, which is like yeast, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal till the whole thing was leavened. Three measures is like a lot, okay? Um, and he takes this yeast, and again, I use this example because, I mean, I love me some good yeast rolls from Chicken Express. I mean, Golden Chick has better chicken, but Chicken Express is rolls. They are fantastic. And what are they? They're a yeast roll, right? And they, they get all fluffy, you know? Y'all ever had dinner rolls that were supposed to be all fluffy and they're like hard as a brick? Remember your heart? Hard? Y'all seeing this. So he says, it's like this yeast with a, with a woman who can put and put the three measures. Where did it put it? In. It didn't sprinkle it on the top. Didn't set it aside, shoved it down in there. Now, again, I use this example. I've watched the greatest British baking show. Uh, I have learned nothing except for I want that pastry. No one makes these pastries around here. And whenever they're making it, what are they doing? And getting it all in. And, like, they talk the whole time. I swear, I'm like, I don't care about the yeast and if it's rising or not. I just want to see the pretty picture at the end so I can savor and want that. And then go eat little Debbie and imagine it was that. <laughs> what is it doing? It's pushing it inside, burying it down in there, and then it affects the whole thing. Till the what? Till the whole thing was leavened. What is he pointing out right here? It's almost like a seed, because doesn't a seed go in the ground? Yeah, so he's like, let me help you out. If you don't get the seed thing, let me, t let me take it this way. It's like... Put, taking that leaven, taking that yeast and pushing it down in there. And when it gets in there, it affects the whole thing. Meaning there's no part left untouched. No opinion you can have that you get to keep because it affects the whole thing. Oh, we don't like that one? So the first thing we got is it's going to grow. It's going to become something great, but it's got to be put down in there. The next one says it's got to be put down in there. And when it does, it's going to affect the whole thing from the inside out, and it will cause it to rise. So now he's like, oh, okay, some people are getting some different ones. Now, the next one he gives is actually in verse 44. Now, the reason we're... We're skipping over this, this next part right here because it's about the other parable that we're going to read. Okay, So we're skipping that part just because it's about the other parable. And after he shares that parable, he says, again, <laughs> again, guys, <laughs> let's do this again. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like. So the thing that you can have right here, right now, is similar to this. So we've got it similar to a seed, a mustard seed, a particularly small seed that grows into something great. Then he kind of played on his, his words there, and he said, hey, and it's growing to this big tree that can actually end up, you know, giving rest. Not death, chaos, and destruction, which we are very good at. Then we have yeast, which works from the inside out. Yes, y'all staying with me? Y'all aren't getting so distracted? Okay, yeah, okay, cool. And he says, again, let me give it to you another way. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man found it, he hid it or buried it, and for the joy of it, went and sold everything he had to buy the field that the treasure was in. Again, we read that and be like, the kingdom of God is like a treasure because there's streets of gold. That's what I need to get that Bentley. 
Now, all y'all keep laughing at, oh, it's not about money, but you constantly, how much do you talk to God about stupid crap like that than about the condition of your heart? Okay, not about money. Okay, about your house, about your car, about all your natural things that all create labors, annoyances, and toils. If you are wondering why I said it in that exact phrasing, because the word in Greek for that is the word paneros, and the word paneros in English would be the word evil. (laughs) We're going to pause this real quick and just say this. Most of you guys are going to God quite evilly. We approach God, who is holy and good, with evil. Labor's anointed, so y'all are saying, oh, well, I thought I was supposed to lay it all down. Yeah, lay it, like, like, let it go. Like, I don't have that anymore in view of him. See, we want to do it like this. We want to hold it and be like, you see it, God? You see it? No, don't touch it. Just, do you see it? Fix it without touching it. And that's what we do. <laughs> well, we lost Kim now. <laughs> this is what it is. Now, we read through this and just say the kingdom of God is like a treasure and it's in a field and, you know, just get the kingdom of God, get rid of everything you have, which in and of itself, even if we thought about that, is difficult enough. But there's a little bit more to this, okay? So the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure. This treasure is hidden in a field. What is a field? It is ground. What is the ground? Let's say this again. The kingdom of heaven is like this treasure, this extremely valuable thing that is hidden or buried in a field. What is a field? It is ground. What is a ground? Meaning like there's other scriptures that talk about my word I have put and I've written it on your hearts. It's in there already. And it says when a man had found it, okay, Last time I looked, you typically don't find things unless you were looking for it. Most of us, even when we are looking for things, cannot find it. So this, this man apparently is looking for something in this field. He's searching. I don't know. Like in our day and age, most people are searching for meaning and purpose. Just let me help some of you out with your uh, intellectualism here. Science and history can't ask and answer the basic questions of a school child, which is, who am I and why am I here? They answer a different type of question, like, how did it happen? But it doesn't tell you why. The question of why is completely reserved for spiritual understanding, in my view, 100%. You'll never understand purpose and reason of existence without a spiritual view. So he's looking for something, and then he discovers what it is, and he says, what does he do? He hides it. We're right back to this burying idea. Like, you got to do some work, put it down in there, and keep it there. And so he buries it in the field. And it says, <laughs> we, we struggle with this one. Thank you, Mike. For the joy of it. You want to talk about ouch, Kim. For the joy of it, he got rid of everything else. 
Meaning that when he got view of this treasure, the joy caused him to abandon it all. But yet we try to do it reverse. We have no view of the treasure and we say, give it all to God. Don't you want to give it all to God? Get rid of all of it. And we're like, okay. No, that means there's no joy in it. You ain't caught view of God. Quit trying to fix the action without getting the heart right. It says get view of that treasure of that spirit and then you will be filled with joy and be willing and wanting to for the joy of it just to get rid of it. It's almost like Radical generosity only comes from the Spirit of God. And all y'all are thinking, oh, here he comes. Give money to the church. No! Radically generous. I'm going to keep hammering on this. Here's the reason. There's two reasons why. Let me give you a little pretext. Because there is going to come a time where Jesus does actually talk about giving money to the church specifically. And we need to make sure that when I come to that point, that all y'all don't revert back to all your other idiocracy that you've been taught for decades and think, oh, I'm trying to get your money. I don't want it. God doesn't want it. If you're wanting to keep it, you don't have the joy of the, of the treasure. You've got a different treasure buried in your, your heart and in your field, so keep it. And then that treasure that you have, will be taken away, which is your life, the thing you think is so important. And you're like, oh, see, God does punish me like that. No, that part actually does have to do with an eternal thing. Was that too fast for you? Okay. I get excited for the joy of it. He says, then, because of joy, he gets rid of everything, abandons it all, which would almost like require him to go the other direction from where he was previously headed would also be called repentance. And then he goes and buys the field, meaning took, guys, see, we think, oh, yeah, see, he spent some money, like, bought this thing over here. No, he, to obtain it, because it was that precious and valuable, he had to get rid of everything he had, meaning the cost of the thing was valued at everything he had. Jesus didn't say it was valued at $1 million. He didn't give us a number. What he did was he said it took everything this guy had to obtain this one thing. There's a reason he doesn't give a number. Because the price is everything that you have. Well, I've got more than them. Everything. Okay, we're seeing that. Then he continues on. Again, you're like, Jared, we are getting it. Well, the disciples didn't, neither did people listen to Jesus. And I, I'm not as good a communicator as him. And y'all are in his disciples as the disciples because they weren't, I don't see anywhere in here that said that they were complaining about food. That comes with the loaves of 5,000. Okay, that's later. <laughs> right here. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like the thing that you are supposed to obtain right here, right now, which is the way God does things. That's what the word kingdom is. He said, it's like this. It's like a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. But when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Sounds very similar to the last one, right? So let's do this one in reverse. Okay, you bought the thing, this pearl of great price, this singular pearl. And to buy it, it took everything we had. Yes, we just discussed that. Everything. No price given again. No Amazon buy now, prime delivery. The cost is variable based off your entire life. So imagine, you're going to Amazon and be like, oh, look at that pearl of great price. It says, price, your life. Someone should do that just to see how many people click to buy that. 
<laughs> that would be funny, sorry. So, so you have to sell all you have to buy it. It says that there was one pearl. Notice before, he was looking at goodly pearls, meaning things that looked good, good pearls. But when he had found this particular one, Okay, y'all aren't seeing this. This applies, okay? So the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man. Let's start from the beginning because y'all are getting confused. I thought we could handle backwards. No, we're going to start from the beginning again, okay? The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man. What does a merchant do? Works. Okay? Buys and sells and works. So there's two things to understand here. Number one is that must mean there is work in the kingdom of heaven, but not labors, annoyances, and toils. Two different things we will talk about. So... There's this guy that's working, and what he is doing is seeking, kind of like the dude that was in the field. And he's seeking good things. Particularly a pearl is the idea. So he's looking for them, and he's looking for lots of them. He's looking for lots of answers to life. He's looking for lots of answers to different things and trying to figure out how this thing works, and I need this one, and I need this one. And y'all are like, no, he's looking for a pearl. It's spiritual. It is you. You look at one situation and say, well, I need to find the answer to this, and so I'll get this one, and I need this thing, and this thing, and I need this thing, and to be happy, I'll need this thing. And so natural things, natural answers, and you're looking for lots of them. But when he finally found the one answer that answers all of those things, then... He sells all that he has. says, I don't don't care about any of those things. See, what we miss here is the singular versus the plural. Was looking for lots of things that would fulfill different things. But when you grasp view of the Spirit of God, it's the answer to all things. So when we have achieved the idea that we we no longer have our own opinion, you immediately will begin to have the answers to everything. Not because you're a know-it-all, but because you are walking in one with the Spirit of God. You've obtained that one thing. And then when you look at every situation, you just begin to say what the answer to the Spirit of God says. So you don't look at a situation and wonder, what am I supposed to do? You already know the answer. When was the last time you were not confused about what you were supposed to do? This is the time you're not supposed to raise your hand. Good job. Because when we grasp you of God, we understand that gives us the answer to everything. I don't like that. It's all right. Why do I have to? Okay, stop. See, some of y'all are like, no. It couldn't answer. And you're coming up with some stupid, ridiculous thought right now. Some of you are like, oh, you're telling me God knows math? Yeah, he invented it. So... If I don't know the answer to an equation on a test, like, you know, like kids, all you youth that are in here right now, I'm just going to write down the first number that comes to mind. That's the answer. I didn't say you knew the answer. I said you knew the solution. And he gave you the solution, by the way, written down. It's called study to sell yourself approved. <laughs> so the answer is still discipleship. Even in natural things, he says it's about discipleship. See, some of you right now are thinking it's not the answer to everything. Yes, because it says, okay, if it's not immediate, apparent, because I I haven't got full view of that, I know where to go to get the answer. I got the one answer. I just go to God. Okay, in plain terms, when was the last time before you opened your dead gum mouth, you consulted God before you did it? 
I only got a couple more. Now here's where it gets big. Y'all, y'all follow me on this one. I'm about to give a lot. Well, actually, I'm not. Jesus says I'm just repeating it to you. Verse 47. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like this thing that you can have right now. The way God does things, his spirit dwelling with man is now, and it's like this thing. It's like a net. The kingdom works like a net. And it was cast into the sea, and it gathered up every kind, which when it was full, it was drawn to shore, set down, and they gathered the good into the vessel, but they cast away the bad. Verse 49, so shall it be at the end of the world when the angels shall come forth and sever wickedness from amongst the just, in verse 50, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you're wondering what just happened, that's called preaching. (laughs) And that's how we read that, and I'm sorry. It's not what you think it says. Now, in the notes, there will be all of the backups for this, meaning every verse, every scripture, every place that I can prove this to you, every historical event, because historical events have to do with this. Remember what I said at the beginning? Jesus ain't like you. He doesn't read back into things. He's got the Spirit of God. He's got the answer. He's got it, and he knows. What he is doing right here is called prophecy. He is using a parable to help them understand what is happening and what is about to happen. About to happen. Now, real quick. So the kingdom of God is like this net, and it casts, and it casts into the sea, and it gathers up every kind. Right there, we're like, okay, a net thrown into the ocean. No, that net specifically means a large one, and it means one that dredges and drags the bottom. And the sea is like a deep thing. So almost like all the way back at the beginning of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness came upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moves upon the face of the water, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Death, chaos, and destruction, God said, let there be light. He's saying the kingdom of God works like this. I reach down into the depths of your heart where that seed is already there that I put there, and I want to cultivate it, and I want to bring you up out of it. And I'm going to do this to everyone at some way, shape, form, or fashion. And when I get everyone up together, we're going to go on to the shore. Now, some of you are thinking of other scriptures that talk about the shores and da 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 Yeah, save it. Sets down and gathers the good, but casts away the bad. And this shall be at the end of the world. And anyone, world means the planet. No. Some of you are like, it's cosmos, because that's the Greek word. And we've studied that when it means the state of an upright man. No. This is the word aeon which means an age, a time period that happens, like from point A to point B. And he says right here that it will be at the end of the age, this age. And the angel shall come forth and sever wickedness from among the just and cast them into the fiery furnace where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. What he is referring to right here is actually something that's going to happen in 70 A.D., Okay, like so, give or take 40 years in the future. 
What he is doing is saying, this is how the kingdom of God works, and I'm going to do some separating. See, what he was trying to separate and trying to tell his disciples is quit trying to deliberate and determine good and evil, which is also in Genesis. I'll handle that. I will handle the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which are the religious people of the day. You worry about just doing what I told you to do. Because there's going to come a time in which I'll separate these two things, and I'll keep you, and I'm going to get rid of all of that. And that's coming, and it will happen before this age is over. There are other places that we're going to read as we continue on where people see, look, it didn't happen because, see, Jesus said at the end of the world, and, then, and they're reading it thinking like, oh, this generation shall not pass. And what he's literally saying is, you're going to be alive when you see this thing happen. Now, how do I know this? Because this is what happens in history. In 70 AD, I told you I was going deep right here to help, to help you understand. In 70 AD, what happens is the Romans completely destroy the Temple Mount. They take over Jerusalem. They completely destroy it. Matter of fact, they decide <laughs> that they are not going to leave a single stone like, they are, they, are, they are really mad <laughs> at them. I mean, if you look at some of these stones, if you go to Jerusalem and see, I've, I've never been there, but I've seen pictures, and there's these huge stones down in the valleys because they've literally toppled the whole building, left nothing there of the building. It was just flattened, which is also what Jesus prophesied later on. Now, interestingly enough, when they did this, it was right now. On Pentecost Sunday, 40 years after, they decided we're going to start on their holy week, and they actually did. They started the siege. It took them all summer long. And then in like August, I think it's August the 6th of 70 AD, they finally conquered, and they completely destroyed it all. And the exact phrasing that is used in your Bible for this and used in other places is weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. Matter of fact, we have a place in Jerusalem to this day that is commonly, it's the Western Wall, which was a foundational element. It is called the what? Wailing Wall. This is what this is referring to, saying that at this time when this thing happens, I'm going to separate the people who believe in the Messiah and the people who don't. And actually, the interesting thing is from 70 AD on, the Pharisaic Jewish belief ceased to exist. From that moment, they destroyed the Pharisees, and they never came back. The Jewish faith that exists today is done differently from that point on. And this is Jesus prophesying, saying this was going to happen. And that's what's, that, that's what's going to be. Now, remember, three or four sessions ago, I told you about this weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth thing. And we always go to eternal damnation fire. And the six times that Matthew mentions it, remember, different authors, different meanings, so we have to talk about it. The six times that Matthew mentions it, this is what he's referring to. He's referring to this idea and understanding that is quite different than what we take from it. Now, if you want to go a little bit further into this real quick, the fiery furnace, what it, that is in reference to, is a place right outside of Jerusalem in which they would burn all of their unwanted things and like dead animals and carcasses and stuff like that. He's in referencing that, but he's also referencing this other interesting thing, which is... Josephus, if you are a historian of the day, okay, Josephus is not really in the Bible at all. He's not a biblical figure, but he is a figure that was a historian of the Jewish people. And he actually writes about this 70 AD thing. And he writes a couple of interesting things. And I actually put the quote in the notes. 
One of the things he writes is that all of Jerusalem was on fire, like all of it, burning like a furnace. And he writes and he says, I, and I'm paraphrasing because he doesn't say it quite in this way. But he says, I know this sounds like make-believe, but he says there are reports and people saying that there, this is what he says, that there were chariots and all kinds of things happening in the clouds and the skies and hearing voices calling out. And they said it was this crazy time. And it says, and then he ends it with all that was heard was wailing. So Jesus is prophesying to his disciples, saying, here's how the kingdom of God's work, and this thing is going to happen now because there's more to come later. See, where we get mixed up and why we can't make sense of how God does what he does is not because you can't understand it unless your heart's hardened like we learned earlier. It's because we want to apply things where they don't apply and not apply things where they should apply. And if we start applying things where they don't apply, it loses its real meaning, and then we lose view of certain things. And then when we don't wish to apply things that then now we have to apply, now we get a, what's called a, a heresy or a false belief. And so when we take a scripture like this and apply it to something it's not talking about, we miss more view of who Jesus was, who was not just all of the other things we mentioned earlier. He was also a prophet. He was also prophesying, saying, these things will happen. Look and watch, because not only will you know it when I rise, you're going to know it. When, I, when my physical body's no longer here, you're going to see things that I said still come to pass, showing that I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Y'all ain't getting that. Let me show you one more. Can I? Why not? And Jesus said unto them, Have you understood all these things? And they said, Yeah, Lord. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't stop. <laughs> so I think Jesus was like, mm, Did you? Did you? Yeah. I read it too every Sunday, and I'm just like, I don't, I'm getting this too sometimes, God. And this is what he says. He says, <laughs> So they say yes, but he's like, No, he didn't. So then he said unto them, Therefore, He's saying, all right, you got this. Let me wrap it up with this one last bit here. Every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like a man that is a householder, meaning someone who owns a home, a dwelling place, which brings forth out of his treasure. You see this? He's tying it back to the pearl, tying it back to the yeast, tying it back, brings forth out of new and old, and then it ends it. And we're all like, what? Right? Does that clarify anything for all of you guys? No, because we're not people of the day and the time. What is he referring to here? He says, listen, every scribe, the word scribed is literally one who is disciplined in. So every disciple. He says, that is instructed unto the kingdom of God, meaning that is listening, understands, and takes its instructions from the way God does things. Every one of these disciples, this is how it is. He will be, so this is a defining characteristic of a disciple from the mouth of Jesus himself. He says, those people will be like a man who owns a dwelling. So like a place in which something dwells. Like a temple, one may would say. And he says, and when he does it, he'll bring forth out of that place, out of that dwelling place, old and new. This is in reference very simply, to a couple of things, but all meaning the same. New and old. We have two parts of our scripture. New Testament, Old Testament. 
He's saying a disciple, because I didn't come to destroy it. Remember, we learned about this. He said, I came to fulfill it. Remember? It's all completed, filled up, satisfied. It's done. I'm going to paint the whole picture for you and fulfill it. So a disciple of mine, out of his heart, all of these things, the old and the new, all make one picture. Moreover than that, he says, a disciple of mine doesn't just get the new, latest, greatest things. New revelation. My disciples remember the original things that I said because they've buried it. They've kept it close. It's the thing growing inside of them. They didn't forget that old thing, abandon that, and say, let me just get this new one. They weren't looking for multiple pearls. They were looking for the one pearl. They weren't looking for treasures. They were looking for a treasure in a field, singular. And when you do that, you won't forget the old. You won't abandon and reject the new because it's all going to point you to the same thing. This is the definition of his disciple. So most of us need to ask ourselves, if we see ourselves with our, our understanding and information and it goes like this and we're forgetting the old stuff and then we get the new stuff, this is showing us we need to be more disciplined. I need to listen a little more intently. I need to be a little more singular. Sell it all to obtain the one. Now, that's Jesus giving us like five different perspectives. And next week, we're going to talk about the main one that he gives. It's commonly referred to as the parable of the sower. It is, again, in my view, it's one of the, it is truly one of the longest parables as far as like, it's, it's got a aside from the prodigal son, it's, it's got a lot of information to it. And this is one of the few that Jesus directly explains. Like, I mean, just in the story, this is this. In the story, this is this. Like, he's just telling them all exactly what it means. And that's what we're going to read next week is the parable of the sower. And when we look at that, I hope that it does the same thing that these scriptures are saying that it does. Is When we put it down in there, it begins to grow and flourish. He becomes the net that is grabbing us and dragging us into closer to him. And we become singular in our focus and our desire for the one thing.